So thank you for, for being here. Thank you, Sarah, for having me here, inviting me to be a visiting writer. It's an honor to share time in this place with you all, um, ruminating and brooding and conversing and making all of you wonderful and talented people. Um, I'm gonna read a couple of poems from Dangerous Goods. Um, I, yeah, I don't really push this book at the conference. I think the reason it was there that year is because my coordinator ordered it. Um, he's like, you should have your book. And I was like, we don't really need to have my book. Um, but we do, and she's selling it, so I'm gonna read some poems from this. Um, this collection is my second collection. I'm sort of a slow writer. This is, this is my first, Blood Ties and Brown Liquor. Um, and Blood Ties and Brown Liquor is about Milledgeville, Georgia. Um, it's these historical sort of poems. Um, I think I had this ambition to write a historical novel in verse, and I failed, but I think I wrote a good book of poems. Um, and so there's, there's a character, Silas Wright, in this book, who's um, based on sort of conversations with older people in my community, and um, reading newspaper articles and reading history books and just wandering around Milledgeville and um, thinking about how to write about that place and the lives of black people who lived there before me. Um, in some of that research, I found mention of black folk who left middle Georgia, Milledgeville and, and the surrounding area in the um, 1870s um, during Reconstruction uh, to go to Liberia. And as I sort of tracked down the, the newspaper articles that were reported in this history book and, and I was just like, I'm still kind of fascinated by why these people went to Liberia during Reconstruction and one guy in particular, um, Sandy Ganaway, um, grabbed my attention because um, he came back to Milledgeville. Also, his name was Ganaway, and I was like, I was like, oh, a, a guy named Ganaway went away. Um, I'm gonna write a poem, and I, I was able to do some research at the uh, American Antiquarian Society. Um, in Worcester, Massachusetts, and sort of tracked down um, what I could about these folk um, who were part of an expedition, that's what they called it, um, that went to Liberia from America um, through the American Colonization Society, Liberia being um, America's colony in Africa. Um, so I wrote a poem about Sandy going over there and coming back. I don't know why he came back, but I do know he was like 70 when he went over there. And I figured well, maybe, from what I could read from the article, uh, he, his letter back to the paper trying to get money to get, work, get his way back from New York where he was stranded, he got halfway back, um, back to Milledgeville, um, was he just, it didn't, it didn't work for him as someone in their 70s trying to make a new life. Ganaway Returns, 1874. Broke in New York and trying to get home. Old Sandy Ganaway, older than Milledgeville by a couple of years, wants to get back to where he'd been freed after being owned, before being born 
Georgia. He's seen Africa and Liberia in nearly every way did not agree with the old man. Recognized faces, but didn't know the natives like folks back home, and never took a liking to the food or the way the light shone. Liberia, created for those folks freed after being owned before being born, and old Sandy Ganaway never embraced as mother and long-lost son returned home. It couldn't hold him the way the land of his father's owners and owned held on. Where old Sandy Ganaway can conceive of dying as each and every man must is the land he knows like his wife's arms. Where does home come from? same place as race? Man is always inventing things, such as nations like Liberia and America, where Sandy was freed after being owned before being born. Um, yeah, there was another, there was a younger man who went on that expedition who wrote back to the paper. Um, and he was just like, I'm not coming back to Millersville. I'm, he was like 24, I found out in the records. And um, he'd been educated in the Friedman School. And he's like, I can be so much more a person here in Liberia than I could ever be in Georgia. I'm never coming back. I've lost a couple of kids. I think he lost a wife to disease. And he's like, I don't, I'm, it's, it's okay. I'm gonna make a life. making a life. Um, I've moved around a bit. I moved from Georgia, where I was born and raised, to Houston, Texas, where I got an MFA, um, up to northern Minnesota, a little town called Bemidji. Um, you guys know Bemidji, anybody? Yeah? Why? Uh, from Wisconsin. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really far north. It's it's like seventy miles, uh, maybe a little more than that, hundred miles south of the border. Um, it's very, very white place. There's a lot of snow there. A lot of white people too. Um, but it was home. I lived there for ten years. Um, I found community. I fell in love with the place. Um, I experienced culture shock and then worked my way through it. Um, I had the good fortune of uh, being a Stegner Fellow at Stanford and I got to meet Arnold Rampersad um, there. And um, when I told him I was from Bemidji, which at the time I was from Bemidji, uh, not from from, but you know what I mean. Um, he was like, oh, you're from Bemidji. You should write a poem called Bemidji Blues. And Arnold Rapper said, um, is the editor of uh, Langston Hughes. And he was like, write Bemidji Blues. And I was like, I think I should do that. It took me some time. I, I couldn't do it immediately. You know, like, I was like, oh, this is, 
this is a big thing I got to try to tackle. Um, I eventually got around to it. Bemidji Blues, the Arnold Rapper's ad. Snows, bluing, sorry. Bemidji Blues, for Arnold Rapper's ad. Shadows bluing the snow, the pines and mine, bear the cast of a kestrel's blue-gray crown. I note as I find my way about this town. Blues here more likely the Nordic eyes kind than the blue-black of some black folk back home. Here, so many lakes reflect the sky's blue dome. Some summer days, skimmed milk blue tints windblown whitecaps. Blues and adjective, verb and noun, and the color of the world when I pine because she's gone, leaving too much wine and time. Blue shadows on the snow, mine and the pines. For the tall man, his blue ox, and now me, home is Bemidji. Though the blues here round, more the cast of the kestrel's blue-gray crown than the blue-black of my cousins back home. I forgot to mention, Bemidji also can't claims Paul Bunyan invaded the blue ox. No matter what Brainerd, Minnesota says, it's Bemidji. Um, I'm going to read some poems from this new thing I'm working on. Um, it's a collection of poems that's sort of grown into, has uh, lyric essays and micro-memoirs and short, short fiction and a sci-fi thing and things are happening. Um, it's titled, The Negroes Send Their Love. Um, one that I'm trying to finish it up here. Girl. That's not going to really happen, though, in a few days. I think my deadline is February, so we'll see. Let me get that. Um, yesterday, I was talking with Ray, and this poem came up that I've been kind of thinking I need to do something with. And, um, and they said, oh, well, maybe it's this kind of shape. And I was like, yeah, that's a good idea. Um, and I just, it also just kind of made me think I need to go back and look at this poem. Um, and so I wrote, I wrote something last night and been tinkering with it today. So this is really brand new and um, sort of came out of this space. So I also um, moved to Alaska. That was this period of my life when I lived in Alaska. Um, that's where I met my wife. Um, that's where our son was born. Um, and Alaska is really fascinating. Um, and one of the things about Alaska that fascinates me is the light, the way the light changes. I was in Fairbanks. And in Fairbanks, on average, every day, the light is either, um, the day is either getting shorter or longer by six minutes. Um, it's one of those things they report on the radio every day, like, well, the sunset, blah, blah, blah. Um, and so, yeah, imagine like six minutes a day, it's either getting longer or shorter. Like across the work week, it's changing by 30 minutes. That's kind of crazy. And that's what I was living with. Um, and this poem is a poem of the evening, a serenade. 
Um, a solstice serenade, summer solstice. June, Fairbanks, Alaska, almost solstice serenade. We're heading again toward the endless. Wait, this description hinges on a withoutness, a lack of end. When what I mean is the longest day and hence the shortest night of the year nears. So perhaps I should say, we heading for that last and hallelujah light, which sounds apropos to a sermon in one of those week-long church revivals of my southern youth. But I feel I should ought to be in mind of a serenade, a croon to smooth my way into our sunlighted evening, an offering to you with the hope we'll ascend the stairs soon into the needful and loving night you create, sweetheart. Bless those blackout curtains we hung to turn our second story into a night away from the well-lit environs without our walls, where the civil twilight, that light thrown back over the horizon toward us, so bright we can see after sunset, bridges the sun's leaving and greeting us. Civil twilight sounds as if it could refer to that nostalgic light a couple casts on one another just after, just before going their separate ways, or a nation of folk the sun's setting on while they aren't paying attention to the vital things or holding the long things too close to their hearts. May this be never us, my love. Um, I mentioned we had a son, uh, and this poem is about um, sort of the first time I saw him. Uh, is it first ultrasound? Um, and since then, I, I've taken to saying that um, this poem is also about um, choices my wife and I made. And after I started saying that, then I had to say this poem is about having a choice. Also, it's about the first time I saw my son. Hello. She, being the midwife and your mother's longtime friend, said, I see a heart. Can you see it? And on the gray display of the ultrasound, there you were as you were, our nugget, in that moment becoming a shrimp or a comma, punctuating the whole of my life, separating its parts before and after, a shrimp in the sea of your mother, and I couldn't help but see the fast beating of your heart translated on that screen, and think and say to her, to the room, to your mother, to myself, it looks like a twinkling star. I imagine I'm not the first to say that either. Unlike the first moments of my every day, which is every moment after this one, the new of seeing you was
was the first, deserving of the definite article, moment, I saw a star, at once so small and so big, so close and getting closer every day, I pray. Um, this next piece is one of those prose pieces I mentioned earlier. It's a sort of lyric essay um, titled Dangerous Goods Redux. So it kind of jumps around a little bit. I think you can follow it. Dangerous Goods Redux. In 2017, when our son was two months shy of two, we'd only been in Georgia a month. My wife and son had moved with me across the continent from interior Alaska to southern Georgia for my new job. The small university town was a couple of hours south of where I was born and raised, not far from my parents and kinfolk. It was August in southern Georgia, and I thought it would be nice to spend time with my son at our new neighborhood park. It wasn't a kid-friendly park, no play sets, no slides, kids' swings, merry-go-rounds, monkey bars, or other climbing things. It was green space with a big pond and an unexpected fountain spraying from the middle. I saw, we saw a green heron at the water's edge. It took flight at our approach and lighted in a tree on the far side. There were Canada geese, 13 of them feeding near shore, taking turns with their heads under and bottoms bobbing up. Seven mallards, three females and four males, and a couple of feral white ducks paddled nearby. Stationed around the pond were swings like you usually find on a porch. I sat us on one. The white ducks came ashore, approaching with bold curiosity, suspecting we had food for them. We didn't. The, their nearness made my son nervous. I tried to calm him with engagement. I said things like, look at their feet. Their webbed feet helped them swim along the surface of the water. And this is why we don't feed wild animals. I wanted him to know they could be dangerous as I sought to calm him so he could appreciate them. Dangerous, able or likely to cause harm or injury, likely to cause problems or have adverse consequences, the adjectival form of danger from the old French danger, based on Latin dominus, lord. The original sense was jurisdiction or power, specifically power to harm, hence the current meaning, able to do harm. On November 13, 1995, a flock of snow geese, a little smaller and stockier than Canada geese, more duck-like, migrating south, landed on a body of water in Butte, Montana, known as the Berkeley Pit. Migrating snow geese roost on lakes and wetlands. A storm may have driven them to land where they did. They died. Over 300 bodies floated in the Berkeley Pit. There were chemical burns on their bodies in their throats. In that lot, not large Georgia town, 
on a family outing to the farmer's market that fall, we saw almost everyone we knew and met a few new people. We walked a friend, a new colleague of mine, to her car, and she told our son to be careful in the parking lot because there's potential for danger. I appreciated her concern for his well-being, but I thought and said, danger ain't nothing but potential. Good, as in material or commodity, can be hazardous somehow if when, somehow to us, when mere, as in dangerous goods, things transported in boxes, by trucks, in cargo containers, by boat, in crates, by freight train, things contained, packed, shipped. Just shy of a year in Georgia, my wife, a Westerner, got a much desired job in Montana, so we packed up and moved again. The Berkeley Pit was one of the world's largest open pit mines when operations ceased on Earth Day 1982. The pumps that kept it from filling with groundwater were shut off. The water that seeped in mixed with materials exposed by the mining operation resulting in a toxic turquoise-colored pond. Reminds me of those stunning glacial lakes and streams I've seen on hikes in Canada. What's in the truck, in the pit, the pond, the bird, the body, the black, brown, red, yellow body? What's in the swarthy body, the Irish body, the other body? What's in the other's body? Let's not forget the woman's and man's body, the trans body always was and now am body. What's in the bird's body? Inside and out, the separation of this from that. Dangerous is in placement and proximity and perception. Dangerous begins where? Dangerous meets good where? Does dangerous begin for African Americans when 20 odd Africans meet the colonists of Virginia in 1619? What is the land of origin? Where is the bill of lading? My wife is white. I am black. Our son is ours. What will I tell our son? What will I tell him about his body in proximity to danger? That's like 20 minutes. I'm just going to stop. I got other things, but I'm just going to stop there. I think that might be a place. <laughs>